1: Goodbye! Hello, Heisman! 40, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh my god! Davis is gonna run it all the way back! Auburn's gonna win the football game! They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20! All the band is out on the field! He's putting it forward and four-man Alabama rush. Got him! Oh no, they didn't!
0: know oh, my how about that? <laughs> Hurricanes experience tropical depression, we're living in the year of the near, and the Pac-12 might not be dead yet. All this and more on today's week three recap edition of the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's Nose and the Jimmys and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined across the Metroplex by Garrett Turney, Trey Reeves, sitting this one out, feeling a little bit under the weather. So we're wishing that he gets back uh, safely and quickly. But gosh, Garrett, you know, we, we talked about this off the top, uh, that this slate of games wasn't necessarily going to live up to what the first two weeks gave us, but we still got some fantastic football games to watch from the morning slate all the way until late into Saturday night, Sunday morning.
1: Yeah, there were some sneaky great matchups. There there was a lot of fun uh, to be had all day. Uh, not necessarily from the big names, not necessarily the big spots like we had had the first couple weeks where, you know, you had these big teams, big brands with those matchups. But, yeah, there were some really fun games to watch if you're not just the casual college football fan. So looking forward to breaking it down and talking about how some of
0: these matchups went. There were so many games that we were – Flipping around on in the morning slate, maybe a little bit less so. It was kind of a, a lot of chalk, a lot of blowouts. There was one game that had our undevoted attention, but oh, yes. uh, I, I will say, once you got to the afternoon, the evening, that's when you started to see some some real fireworks, some real headlines, and we will get to all of that. If you are new to the show, welcome, welcome to week three of the three technique. Glad to have you here. Uh, if you have not already subscribed, please hit that subscribe button on. Whether it's Apple Music, whether it's Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, it really helps us. Also, leave a rating for the show. Again, it just continues to help us grow. It helps with the algorithm, helps with uh, other fans finding this show. And you know, from what we can see so far, you guys certainly do love uh, enjoying the content week in, week out. It's a pleasure to interact with you guys on social media as well, which reminds me, if you are not already following us, head over to at3techpod on Instagram and Twitter. Our Instagram post was on fire predicting winners this weekend. Twitter was popping (laughs) off as we were live tweeting a couple of games. So make sure you don't miss any of that coverage over on the socials. But Garrett, without any further ado, let's head into news. Uh, Trey not with us, so we don't have the sound today, but we'll just kind of dive into the coaches and AP polls. There were some disgruntled murmurings over on Twitter, especially when you looked at the coaches poll. And the highlights look like this. Arkansas moves up after a really tough look against Missouri State. Ole Miss blows out Georgia Tech. They're up to 13. Penn State jumps eight spots. They're the biggest mover of the weekend. They're all the way up to 15. Oregon has moved up to 18. Michigan State, despite getting the doors blown off, on the road is still three spots above Washington, who's 3-0, and and App State is still unranked. From, from all of that, where do you side with, with the people on maybe some some malcontent here?
1: I mean, I think I side with the people and not with the coaches. I think that's the thing. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any way that you can, unless it was a clearly better team who got caught on a bad week, I don't think you can still rank people ahead of teams that they lost to. So, I mean, look, Michigan State, you know, thanks for playing, but you got beat. You should be below Washington. Um, Arkansas moving up. Little confusing. It wasn't even like there was a lot of attrition in the top group. Um, so just kind of confused as to how they late in that fourth quarter, we were watching that one. They had a real shot to lose that game if it wasn't for a long touchdown by I think it was on that shovel pass up. So that would that would have been a pretty tough scene for Arkansas, um, against their former coach. Um <laughs> Ole Miss moves up. I'm not upset about that. They beat a really bad Georgia Tech team. Mm-hmm. I'm not upset about that necessarily. I do like the respect on Penn State. I think Penn State came out looked a lot better. We'll break that one down obviously, but I I want to put some respect on Penn State for what they just did. So, overall going to go ahead and side with the people on this one, not the best coaches poll.
0: Yeah, it just I I don't know. The coaches poll is so weird. These guys don't have the chance to watch these teams. They're they shouldn't. They shouldn't be able to watch these teams. So, it's just a little weird that this gets released uh, and you know, people put stock into it that there's some sort of value placed in this poll. What most people put their value in is the AP poll, which comes out a little bit after the coach's poll. And that one was a little bit more sane. Very chalky at the top, as you mentioned. Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, and Oklahoma, the top six. If you're out west, USC is sitting there at number seven. Kentucky somehow jumps Oklahoma State this week. They both played doormat non-conference opponents, and Oklahoma State put up 63 against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Kentucky struggled a little bit early against Youngstown State. Will Levis continues to throw interceptions, and somehow they move up. Uh, BYU gets shellacked. We'll talk about that in just a moment. They plummet down to 19. Florida, Wake, and Texas all drop by at least one spot. Despite wins. I will say when you look across the AP poll, that one feels a little bit more uh, indicative of the national landscape. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, it's better than what the coaches put together, obviously. I will say there's a couple spots that I have some issues. I don't think Oregon shot up the poll. I don't yeah. think Oregon probably deserved to shoot up as much as they did. is a good squad. We all thought the BYU would end up, you know, going there and being a lot more competitive than they were gonna be. Um, but, yeah, I, I still don't think, what was it, like 10 or 12 spots they shot up? It was something yeah. crazy like that. Um, you know, you can even say, like, flip side, obviously A&M with the bad loss last week, but beating a team of a similar caliber to BYU jumps one spot, right? So a little bit of a confusion as to why Oregon's win was so much better than AM's um, and ms win. And then just kind of breaking down some of what you were talking about, Kentucky over Oklahoma State, I just don't see it. Uh, obviously I picked Oklahoma State for the playoff. I'm a lot higher on Oklahoma State than a lot of people are. <laughs> yeah. But still, I think that that's just disrespect on Oklahoma State because they, they're not the bigger program. They're not the bigger brand. You know, they're not maybe yeah. going to draw as many eyeballs nationally, but they looked pretty dang good. And so I don't know. I, I don't have any problems with the AP poll necessarily. Um, I do think the the issue with these earlier polls is you're going off of stuff you think you know. And at this point in the season, we think we know some of these teams. We think we know, you know, some of the performances they put on. We we think we can say, oh, this team's good. Or like, oh, we know for sure that this is a bad team. But, you know, let's watch conference play go for a little bit. And let's start to see which teams are actually good and maybe which teams started hot or, you know, maybe got lucky against teams that had different perceptions. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Don't put too much stock into the polls early.
0: Yeah, it's still a lot of football to be played. Teams still feeling it out. Early injuries affecting teams up and down uh, the, the rankings. So certainly not a spot to to overreact. I will I will agree with you though. It was interesting to watch Oregon shoot up by I believe it was twelve spots. Miami plummeted twelve spots uh, in similar games. I, I guess I mean there are comparisons. There are also a lot of things that you could contrast, obviously BYU-Oregon, more of an offensive shootout, while AM mm-hmm. miami was much more of a defensive affair. I guess, you know, let's go ahead and, and jump right into our headliners. Talking about Miami, we can lead off with that game. No. Uh, I mentioned in the opener, the Hurricanes, they're downgraded to a tropical depression after what was an abysmal offensive showing in College Station. Number 24, Texas A&M-17. They knock off the 13th-ranked Hurricanes at the time. Uh, Miami only managed nine points. They did not get into the end zone. And I think you have to start with the defense, right? I mean, look, A&M, they make the quarterback change. They go from Haynes King to, to Max Johnson. A&M is not going to be an explosive offensive team. Not this season. I, and, and who knows if they will ever be under Jimbo Fisher. I think as you continue to see him reel in talent out wide, in the recruiting class with wide receivers, with fast backs, the, the Devin A-chains and Evan Stewart's of the world, which we didn't even see Evan Stewart last night, more on that in a second. Uh, but as he continues to get speedsters that can separate, I do wonder if somehow that opens up this offense. The, the counter argument is, dude, it's it's year five and your quarterback, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pipe dream to throw for 300 yards in the game. On the other side, though, the defense looked spectacular despite having a bevy of injuries up front on the front four, especially Uh, McKinley-Jackson was on a pitch count up front and the defensive tackle spot, and you were down multiple defensive backs, not only because of suspensions, which I'll let you mention, but also early targeting calls, and yet that did not seem to matter. The Aggies rose to the occasion, played in front of over 107,000, and really kept Miami... From doing anything offensively.
1: Yeah, no, and I think a lot of credit needs to go to both defenses. Both defenses absolutely showed out last night. We can talk about how AM's offense isn't very explosive. At the end of the day, Miami did some stuff that really gave AM problems with moving the ball, right? They came out early and moved the ball pretty well, but it seemed like Miami. They figured out what AM wanted to do on offense, and they shut it down from that point on. And it made it a lot harder for them to move the football. I think I saw Miami pretty much dominated every statistical category in this one. This really came down to a, a special teams affair, right? If it wasn't for a blocked field goal and some really good punting from the Aggie punter, uh, you know, we're probably talking about a different storyline this morning. Um, and also, of course, the miffed punt by the uh, Miami guy that ended up turning into the first touchdown of the game. So... Mm-hmm. But hats have to go off to both defenses. Look, that Aggie defense, they played their tails off. They didn't let up a touchdown against a very good offense and probably one of the better quarterbacks they're going to see all year, um, maybe third or fourth best in the in, in, the, in their schedule. But, man, like, they, they did a lot of good, especially considering how many guys they had out. Obviously, you alluded to it, but there were some suspensions handed out uh, before the game. I think it was like four or five hours before the game because apparently – uh, some of the players went off and broke curfew, um, and so they they didn't get to play this game. Two of them were some of those highly touted younger DBs who had been seeing a lot of playing time, so you got to watch some guys get thrust into playing time pretty early. They also had two targeting penalties in this game that knocked oh. out two more DBs, and so yeah, they're playing down, I think I saw it was, they missed four or five at one point of their top seven DBs. Sheesh. and so yeah that's not a recipe for success against tyler van dyke and somehow these guys rose to the occasion they just they knew how to play they knew what they wanted to do jordan gilbert had a good game uh jalen jones had a fantastic game in coverage yes, um and then on the miami side their defensive tackles played really really well inside they shut down the run game for the majority of the night you could not run inside if you're trying to get anything on the ground for the Aggs it was going to be mm-hmm. outside the tackles and in sort of space and then Man, they were they were causing problems, getting in Max's face, forcing some bad throws. And so both defenses
0: played a good game. Ultimately, it was just the special teams that let AM win this one. Yeah, and Anayas Smith nearly uh, well, he did fumble a punt very, very late. What was mm-hmm. what set up AM's final possession that they ended up punting away, giving Miami a chance to to tie it with a last second trip down the field. But yeah, if Anias doesn't jump on that ball, I mean I have no doubt that in that moment, uh, Miami finds a way to score just like A&M did in the first, and maybe they get the the, the two-point conversion. You tie it up, you go to overtime. Like, who knows? You were on the brink of absolute catastrophe if you were Texas A&M, but the breaks went your way last night, and that is incredibly important. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Again, offensively, they ran the ball pretty well around the edge. I was happy to see Devon A-Chain really get The focus of that offense, Max Johnson, you know, he came in, he was better than what Haynes King showed still only 10 of 20 for 140 yards, right? Like through the air last night, again, you're down Evan Stewart, your best wide receiver due to that suspension. You're down Chris Marshall, the other five-star receiver in that class, the Aggie, uh, wide receiver core Sands and Nyas Smith cannot separate. And Miami's secondary did such a good job of blanketing wide receivers. Anum's trying to run quick routes. They're trying to run the mesh pattern. And, and DJ Ivy and company just were not having it. To your point as well, some really good defensive line play from the Canes. And on the other side, that offensive front, they gave up some pressure, but did not allow a single sack of Tyler Van Dyke. And, you know, Tyler struggled last night. He was facing two young safeties that gave him fits all night long. He lost Damani Richardson, A&M's captain, to a targeting call in the first half. And so you had Jarden Gilbert, who's, a, a I guess, a second-year freshman from Louisiana. He's playing the free safety. And Bryce Anderson, a true freshman, had to come in and play the strong side safety. And they managed to to hold it down for the Aggies. Bryce Anderson looked timid early in the first half. He really came on, had a whale of a ball game there in the second half. So, you know, key stat for me, Miami just 5 of 14 on third down. They were 0 of 1 on fourth down, which was that final play of the game uh, where the the ball went right through the wide receiver's hands. App State, in that upset loss, 9 of 13 on third down and 3 of 5 on fourth down. So even though A&M's defensive line still continues to struggle to actually wrap up the quarterback they are getting off the field, or they did last night. To me, as along with special teams, that was really the the tipping point that gave A&M an important winning College Station. Yeah,
1: and a lot better against the run. They were a bunch better at you know making sure to wrap up and, and make tackles in the open field. Miami had some success on the ground for sure. They ripped off a few of them, but yep. they, they weren't able to do the same thing that App State did last week when they came in there and just hit backside and bounce outside and – get some space and, you know, keep converting. there were a lot more third and longs this week than there were, you know, third and one, third and twos for App State.
0: Trey asked us to mention, uh, or rather request of Jimbo Fish in that offense to please stop running a chain into the line every first down. I completely concur. Let's get a little bit more creative there, Jimbo. Washington, 39, number 11, Michigan State, 28. What did I say, Garrett? When we previewed this game, the thing that I led off with, and the reason why I took the Huskies in a weird line, we had no idea why Vegas was favoring Washington. They hadn't really played anybody. This is year one under Kalen DeBoer. I said, if Michigan State gets off to their traditionally slow start, it's curtains. Roll credits. They've got no chance. And that is exactly what happened. Michigan State did not move the ball in the first half. Washington goes up 29-8. to that Spartan uh, Sparty secondary looks shaky all day. Michael Penix jr. Is looking like the Renaissance man in a new Jersey. He's finally healthy 397 yards yesterday four touchdowns. And for me, the most interesting storyline coming out of this Kalen DeBoer's record as a head coach is something off of a video game. Like if you take over a bad program, you keep winning, you get that big job. And when you go to look at your coaching career, It's something gaudy, right? You just never lose. That's Kalen DeBoer as a head coach, 82-9 and as the head ball coach uh, in charge of a couple of different programs, of uh, of course, coming over from Fresno State. Uh, Not a good look for Sparty going on the road last night.
1: No, certainly not. It's certainly looking like Michigan State is lacking playmakers to an extreme degree, right? Kenneth Walker was their big deal last year, and replacing him so far they haven't been able to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, but I think you have to go with what Washington did right. You know, it wasn't that Michigan State looked terrible, but man, Washington did some stuff really right. You know, going into this one, I was talking about how, you know, we just didn't really know much about either team. So I picked Michigan State just to say that, mm-hmm. you know, they have the better coach, I thought. I'm going to fully just eat the crow there. Look, that clearly wasn't true last night. Um, yeah, you're totally right. Kalen DeBoer, he's looking fantastic. Um, but I think that he's going to have a lot more respect on him. He's going to have that program working really well. Pennix Jr. looked great. <laughs> I, I didn't know if that was just playing inferior talent or if it was actually a thing where he was going to be able to, you know, translate that into conference play, bigger foes, you know, better teams like Michigan State. But, yeah, he translated it. It looked good again last night. I think you got to look for Washington now to be a little bit of a threat up there in the north. I mean, You know, Oregon obviously had their big win, too. So I think you can say that that might be a little bit of a a real race now in the north. But um, yeah, no, Washington, they looked pretty solid. I I would also say I I saw a few people this morning picking Washington for like that fourth playoff spot. I think that's maybe an overreaction (laughs) a little bit, but but you got to put some respect on them. They looked good. Their offense sure is humming right now. And there's a lot of teams across this country that would like to have that be said about their program, that their offense is actually looking pretty good.
0: Uh, There's no doubt. So many questions going into the season. Look, Washington has been an underachiever for the last several years, a fun place to play, a beautiful campus. Uh, Questions about, you know, hey, can they continue to recruit really well? They haven't really developed a quarterback in the last couple of years. Uh, Maybe you don't need to if you can keep bringing in guys like Michael Penix Jr., uh, for, for one off seasons, I, I know they would like <laughs> to get some of their own guys in that program, but uh, I tell you what, uh, Pennix looked really, really good for Michigan state. It, it's really starting to look like offensively. It was the Michigan state Kenneth Walker's last season that <laughs> they just ran the ball down everybody's throat. I, I don't, like you said, I don't know that they have that game changer. That's going to be able to beat uh high powered teams. Certainly not on the road. Peyton Thorne wasn't bad yesterday, 30 of 42, 323 yards, three touchdowns and a pick, but Sparty only rushed for 42 yards. And when you don't have that balance, if you're not, you know, being able to move the chains on third down through the air consistently, it's tough to to sustain that all throughout the game. And look, Michigan state had to air it out coming back. They were down big early. They did not quit and I will give them props for that, but Still a tough look for uh, for Michigan State there. They plummet in the rankings. I don't know about Washington being in the fourth playoff seed, but I, I don't know I, about I, that. <laughs> I do think, I do think they are a legitimate contender now for the Pac-12 North. Uh, and you know, speaking sure. of which, let's go ahead and talk about the other big game in the Pac-12 North. Number twenty-five, Oregon crushes BYU forty-one to twenty. The Cougars immediately lose that nice shiny number twelve next to their name. Garrett, it was big game bow, sort of. We, we talked about that in the preview. He needed to show up. He needed to have a great game at home. Only 222 yards through the air and two touchdowns, but he did not turn the ball over and he did rush for three scores on the ground. This felt like his get right game, but if you look back over the course of his career, this is also pretty par for the course. He, he has some stinkers and then he'll have a game that makes you believe again. And then he gives you what we know as Ben Bo Nix as a quarterback. So is there any reason to believe that this is now kind of the staying power that Oregon has? Or was it really just a blip on the radar again?
1: I mean, you'd really hope so if you're an Oregon fan. You're hoping to get this guy as a good Bo. And, you know, first couple games kind of came out not so good. Look, yeah, maybe yesterday was a get right. I'm tempted to believe that the experience he has showing you who he is is actually who he is and that there's going to be some regression, but I don't know. Maybe something finally clicked about the offense. Maybe something finally clicked with the playmakers. I got to say, I thought that was the biggest difference in this game was Oregon's playmakers versus the BYU secondary. One of the things I was looking for coming into this was I said in the pre, or, yeah, in the preview for this game, I said that <clears throat> the big deal was going to be figuring out how it was going to be when you flipped the dynamic in the past game. So BYU against Baylor was able to take advantage of a younger quarterback and a very talented quarterback, but a guy who didn't have as much experience and didn't have the playmakers outside. They took advantage of that, no problem. This time they got exposed because Oregon just had the better playmakers. That's all that it came down to. Their skill guys were just better and Bonix didn't have to uh, do too much, right? He didn't feel like he was getting pressured too much. He didn't feel like he was you know, really that BYU was presenting anything difficult to him necessarily. So he could just get the ball to his playmakers and do that. He played a good game. Don't get me wrong. But I think this had a lot to do with Oregon's playmakers and and less to do with just Bo Nix being amazing. Having said that, you know, does Bo need to keep this up in order to keep distributing the ball? Yes, I do think so. Does this give you a lot of hope as an Oregon fan? that you were able to move the ball so well and score so much on a very good BYU defense. I think so too. Sure. I think if you're an Oregon fan, you feel so much better today than you did going into the game yesterday.
0: I agree. I, I think what you should really be encouraged about, if you're a Ducks fan, you bullied BYU on both sides of the ball in the trenches. The offensive line just, just did not allow anybody get into the backfield. They're moving the ball on the ground as well. The defensive line, they harassed Jaron Hall. They did throw for over 300 yards, but again, when they needed to, they bowed up. They did not allow BYU to find the end zone really until late in that ballgame. The other issues holding BYU back, uh, they were missing their their two starting wide receivers, right? Uh, Kua Nakua and then uh, uh, Gunnar Romney, both in the receiving core, out for yesterday's game for the second uh, game in a row. They were able to beat Baylor last week without them, but that was at home. Not able to do so. Uh, against Christian Jackson, the the Colorado transfer, and the other talented defensive backs uh, for that Oregon secondary. So interested to see how Oregon continues to recoup momentum after what was an embarrassing loss to to Georgia in that opener. But I will say they looked very good against a, a team that we believe is a legit program in BYU. Right. And to that point
1: about Oregon's defense, I think they just had a better scheme than what Baylor had. I think they're just a better coach team defensively with Dan Lanning. And not to throw any shade on Baylor, not to say that they're not a good defensive team. They play really good ball. But I think that there is just a different element of that. And without your best playmakers, that's going to get exposed. So looking forward to see how Oregon turns this season around and hopefully gives us something real fun to watch uh, when it gets late, late, late in the night. So
0: That's right. Well, the Pac-12 needs it. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about oh, that. That's for sure. Let's head across the coast from one Shining Sea to the other. Garrett, this was the game that had our attention in the morning slate. Syracuse, (laughs) the Orange 32. The Purdue Boilermakers going back in a very sad fashion. They scored 29. Syracuse early on looked abysmal. This was not a pretty game. When I say that it had our undivided attention, I don't mean that we were watching a shootout. This was a 10-9 to game after three quarters, but oh boy, did it make up for it in the fourth. The two teams combined for 42 points in the fourth quarter. Aiden O'Connell's pick six. Absolute gut punch for the Boilermakers. They did answer back with a great drive to score the go-ahead touchdown with 51 seconds left, but Garrett, a Syracuse team that could not pass the ball all game long, they weren't running it with Sean Tucker, so you didn't have a whole lot of hope with 51 seconds left, but Garrett Schrader, his arm and a host of penalties from the Boilermakers allow Syracuse to drive down. They scored the game-winning touchdown with something like seven seconds left. Um, this this was just a wild viewing experience that I, I was very pleased to go the way of the Syracuse Horns. They're 3-0 now. Yeah, no,
1: for sure. It's it's a fun time when Syracuse and Duke and Kansas and all these teams are three and oh, and you know we're talking about traditional basketball powers actually maybe being good at football. So, um, no, but I, I think those penalties might have had something to do with that last drive more than the arm of Garrett Schrader, <laughs> not to put any disrespect on him. He did some good things, but um, <laughs> man, that was just that felt like two teams that had some obvious holes that most other teams would have exploited that they just couldn't figure out who wanted to win that game, right? It was like, no, we're going to make the play that finally wins it. And then the next team answers back, no, no, it's going to be us. And then you would see just catastrophic mistakes. I mean, that pick six was one of the ugliest things I've seen in a football field in a long time. You're getting sacked. You throw a weak ball to three guys that are rushing you, and then the big boy catches it and just waltzes in on that massive frame. So I I just – man, that was not necessarily the prettiest game. Like you were saying, it had our attention, but it was, for me, it felt more like, you know, how you can't look away from a train wreck or something like that, (laughs) where you're like, oh no, it's a disaster. Oh no, now they're going to let them do that. And then, you know, here comes Purdue right back down the field. And you're like, oh no, Syracuse is really going to blow this. They handed it to him. He literally handed it to him and Syracuse is going to blow it. And then it looks like they have. And then nope, here comes Syracuse and a bunch of penalties. And so, man, I, it was a fun game to watch. I'm so glad that I'm not a Syracuse or Purdue fan because that probably would have had my blood pressure way too high for healthy levels. So, man, fun game to watch. Excited to see where Syracuse goes from here. And, man, Purdue, the, the hype in the offseason may have been slightly overstated. We've been talking about it. That Big Ten – that, that Western division, man, it sure seems like nobody wants to win that except maybe Minnesota now. Um, oh. But, man, P- Purdue has not looked very good. They have not looked like the team that we thought they were going to be. Aiden O'Connell, he's put up good numbers, but he certainly hasn't been the guy that you wanted him to be. He's not finishing drives as well. They're, they're not scoring as much as they were hoping to, and it hasn't translated to wins so far.
0: I think they're really, Purdue is really being hurt by their lack of a ground game. I mean, Aiden O'Connell threw 425 yards yesterday. 188 of those went to Iowa transfer, Charlie Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the Charlie Jones show. Every third down, every deep pass down the field, you're looking for Charlie. And most of the time, you connect on those. But on the times that you can't, it's like Purdue, it's the end of the drive. They have no other way to move the football. That defense played really well in the first half. They held Sean Tucker, who is the best player on that field, to 18 carries for 42 yards. They took him out of the game plan for the Orange in the first half because he couldn't move the football. You force Garrett Schrader to be the guy, which he's not a passer. He's not a pure passer. Uh, I think 181 yards. Yeah, 181 yards. He did throw for three touchdowns, so he's really good in the red zone. But when it comes to just moving the ball, he does it with his legs. That's really the only way that Syracuse has a chance at picking up the first down if it's not through Sean Tucker. So in every conceivable way, it felt like Purdue should have won this game. They just did not make the clutch plays when they needed to. That, that secondary was so good until they absolutely needed to stop. The pass rush got to Garrett Schrader until they absolutely needed to stop. And then the Orange just found a way. So a very head-scratching, confusing game. Obviously, Syracuse being 3-0 was not something that we saw coming. Purdue being 1-2 was not something that we saw coming. Uh, Trey noted that his his pick as the Boilermakers winning the Big, uh, Big Ten West, certainly losing steam. But then again, they haven't played a divisional opponent yet. So certainly seems like it's Wisconsin or uh, Minnesota's to lose at this point. But who knows? We've still got nine beautiful weeks of college football left. And to be
1: clear, there's plenty of wins to be had in that division. I think that that division (laughs) there is a lot of winning to go around. Somebody has to win those games. Purdue might as well. I mean, but but that's the point, right? If you can't finish games, if you can't make the one or two plays at the end, then the the comparison and this might get a bit of a groan from some of our listeners, but I think Aiden O'Connell's kind of reminding me of Tony Romo in this way. He's gonna put up numbers he's gonna look good doing it. He's gonna make a lot of good throws, but man, there's just those one or two plays at the end that he can't seem to make. And he just can't seem to be the guy to push them over to the top and make up for the lack of a run game. Make up for they didn't get a stop on defense, right? You want that if you're gonna if you're gonna call this guy this this is your guy, he's the stud quarterback. You want that kind of play for the the overcoming everyone else's mistakes. He he's not that guy and I don't think that they have the team around him to allow for that to keep going so they'll probably win a bunch of division games i don't think they're that good of a team right now
0: we apologize to any dallas cowboys fans we're not pumping helicopter noises through your audio right now that's just the ptsd <laughs> it's from just that years of abuse uh we'll go ahead and move <laughs> on to another shellacking another abuse penn state 41 auburn 12 uh, Garrett, I was kind of surprised this morning to wake up and see that Brian Harson, at least as of recording this, has not been fired, but that was <laughs> that was an embarrassing route for Auburn in your own building. Jordan Hare looked half empty at the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, Penn State just whipped Auburn at every level of this game. They were more physical, they looked more talented. They were faster. They did everything so much better than Auburn, so much so. That at the end of the third quarter, when it was thirty-one to six, Penn State rotated their three backup quarterbacks in to each get at least one drive in this game. I mean, it was it was a close game at halftime. It, it went off the rails very, very quickly. Penn State scored on their opening possession after Auburn had a pathetic three and out. If you're Auburn, um, I, I think you you need to call the fire department. There are all kinds of flames in the building right now.
1: Yeah, no, Auburn is not good at football right now. It is it is probably the the most surprising thing that's happened to a program the last couple of years is just watching Auburn fall off a cliff. Um they they have plenty of reasons to recruit good players, plenty of reasons to be able to get good play. And man, they just cannot seem to figure it out these last couple of years. But man, they're just not very good. Credit where it's due. I mentioned this off the top. I think Penn State deserves a lot of credit for the way that they played. They came in there, they were ready, they were focused, they were prepared. Clifford turned it on. He he looked pretty good in that game after he took that big hit. I was joking that, you know, it seems like he just forgot how to be good at football for a while. And then that big hit that he took snapped something in his brain and he remembered how to be good at football. So yeah. if he's good from now on, you can thank the Auburn defense for that one. Um, but man, I mean, I mean, where can you talk about Auburn? and say that there's anything to look forward to, really. I mean, you've got a great running back, but he's getting spoiled behind a terrible offensive line that can't block anybody up front, which is not the way you're going to go in the SEC, right? We don't think Penn State is that physical of a team, and they were manhandling them, right? You don't have skill guys outside. Your receivers aren't getting any separation. Your defense doesn't seem like they know how to stop anyone what was it like 58% for the QBs they they just couldn't complete passes yep. you know they're throwing picks like it's nobody's business man like it's it's ugly right now in auburn and i mean i'm with you i'm kind of surprised that harson still has a job and they're not trying to turn things over get another guy a chance you know try to save some kind of a recruiting class Man, not fun times right now in Auburn, Um, and it's not going to get better since they played Georgia and Bama every year, so it's going to be some ugly football to be
0: played. Exactly. That schedule is so incredibly brutal. You had to find at least some confidence through these first three weeks if you're going to weather a a gauntlet of an SEC West schedule, and you did anything but that. Yeah, you're 2-1, and but as you just alluded to, a couple of stats that I found, or a couple of News items that I found while researching this uh, post game Auburn quarterbacks through three weeks of the regular season, per Nathan King of 247, 58.5% passing completion. They've only thrown two touchdowns and they've thrown six interceptions. Oh. That is so inefficient. That is against Mercer, San Jose State, and then Penn State in your own building yesterday. Just a brutal performance for War Eagle. Um, I, I think. I think four wins is the absolute height of this campaign, and I don't know when Brian Harson gets shown the door, but it's it's coming. They do have Missouri next week, so maybe you you find a way to to get your third win, go into you know really the, the heart of your schedule at three and one, but oh my goodness, things are things are very, very bleak there uh, uh, in Jordan Hare. And oh, my gosh, do you have to beat Missouri like this? (laughs)
1: This feels like as much of a must win as you can get. Missouri hasn't been very good, but they can do some things well. They have some playmakers. And if you're not ready for that, this is not a game that you can mess around in if you're Auburn. And I want to go ahead and make sure I make this clear. This is completely unfair to their fan base. Their fan base has some of the best fans in the country that they're loyal to their team. That stadium was full of orange. They sold it as the orange out game. They were going to show up and answer to what Penn state did with the out. right? They're going to orange it out. And that stadium was full of orange at the start of the game. And an hour or so later, that stadium was not full of anything, right? There was nobody in that stadium. Nobody wanted to stick around and watch this team. And I can't blame them. I mean, that it sucks if you're an Auburn fan, because, you know, you care about football. This is, you know, you're, In-state with Alabama, you know they care about football. All you want to do is watch good product get back on the field, and it doesn't seem like your program knows how to do that. So this is not to disparage any of the Auburn fans. The Auburn fans are fantastic, but man, what a terrible team y'all have right
0: now. Y'all deserve a lot better. Well, I don't know that it's going to get a lot better anytime soon. We'll we'll have to wait. Probably not. Yeah, Uh, so again, as of recording this pod, Ryan Harson is still employed by auburn university we'll see how much longer that that survives last game to focus on before we whip around the country and it was where college game day went to uh, went to rightfully so after their historic upset over texas a&m appalachian state 32 troy 28 this game was not on many people's radar until the very last possession app state trailed troy most of this game It's a back-and-forth affair, and it ends in one of the wildest Hail Marys we've seen in a long time. I've officially dubbed this the year of the near. Uh, Everything seemingly coming up Appalachian State right now. If you haven't heard the radio call of that App State uh, audio, please go search that. It is a whole lot of just loud noises. Just
1: screaming.
0: Yeah, uh, but it's well worth a listen Listen, I don't have really a lot of thoughts on this game other than the fact that, you know, good for App State. They get game day. It was going to be a really deflating look if they lost after such a such a historic week, such a party week in Boone, and you really couldn't have faulted them for it, right? One of the one of the biggest wins in program history. It would only be natural for them with all this hype to come out a little flat, but they found a way to win, and, and I'm happy for them.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, and absolutely great job by that coaching staff. They did a great job last week against A&M. And they just stuck with it. They kept trying to play for the next play, tried to squeak something out, ultimately ended up working. Yeah, it's a little bit of a fluky play, you know, whenever the ball gets tipped backwards and then there was a receiver there. Just kind of a nice to be lucky instead of good, like you said earlier. But, man, they, they're a good squad. The fact that they're in that position means they're a good squad. And when you talk about it being off of everyone's radars, my biggest complaint about this was this game was on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, This game was not on a network, despite the fact that game day went there. So I was a little bit confused how you're going to show up with all your production crew there and then not give them one of your slots. But at the end of the day, you know, I guess that sent people to the radio and more people got to hear the radio call, which is fantastic. I mean, turn the game all the way up and just scream. That was pretty much what it was (laughs) on that radio call. If you know, if you were a nearest fan, you probably had an idea of what was going on just from context, but you did not know for sure until no. they, you know, kind of got it together and were able to say, "Okay, by the way, he scored a touchdown, and we yeah. ended up winning that game." You know, it's just—it was amazing. I love those kinds of calls. This is why we do that. Might have to add that one to the intro.
0: <laughs> just, just a whole <laughs> lot of incoherent yelling. That's that's what you're gonna hear, and it is pure college football bliss. All right, let's head around the country. couple of games to hit on here uh, as we go conference by conference. Let's start with Notre Dame over Cal <laughs> 24-17. If you're a Notre Dame fan, might just skip ahead a few minutes. There's not many good things to say about this game. In fact, the most notable thing about this game is probably that viral uh, video clip going around of Tommy Reese just berating Drew Pine over the headset I believe Pine just you know threw an interception. Tommy Reese is dropping a, dropping a bunch of f bombs into the into the mic. You got to figure that NBC gets rid of that booth camera angle because, wolf, it perfectly <laughs> described this day. Um, I believe most Notre Dame fans were wishing that this game could be settled in some other manner, maybe an academic standard instead <laughs> of a physical challenge on the football field. Cal played really good defense, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Notre Dame played strong defense as well. They gave up 17 points, but it is so abundantly clear that Notre Dame's quarterback of the future is not on this roster right now. This offense is so limited in terms of playmakers that, you know, Garrett, I look at the schedule. They've already got two losses. You can, I can easily find three more losses on this schedule.
1: Oh, I can find probably more than that. This this team is going to struggle. You can't call a single game, maybe on the rest of their schedule, a for sure win. Cal wasn't exactly a dominant product. Mm -hmm. I know that they did some things well, and they have a pretty decent defense, but I don't think this had a lot to do with Cal's defense. I think this just had a lot to do with the fact that Notre Dame can't move the football effectively. It doesn't seem like they have a playmaker. I know that they missed some guys for injuries. They're running back solid, but man, if that's the only thing you got going for you, I mean it's going to be a bit of a long season. You know, I I think Cal is going to be around the bottom of the PAC 12 this year. I think they're going to be kind of near the bottom in that division and Notre Dame didn't go out and dominate right now. Maybe that's just find a way to win and good job. You actually got in the win column, right? Good for them to actually, you know, get some positive momentum going, get a little bit of the stink off the program, but man, not looking good going forward, and you're right. The quarterback, he's in their recruiting class. He's not currently committed or not currently enrolled at Notre Dame. Um, he he's got they've got the quarterback committed. They're gonna have to figure something out this year, or else that quarterback. I could see him looking elsewhere. He is a Michigan um, legacy uh, legacy, and so I could see if Michigan makes the playoff again. If you know, if there's other teams that could go on a run that have been recruiting him. They're going to have to do some work because the off-season hype was great, but in-season you got to start winning some games.
0: The the thing that is going in favor of Notre Dame as far as continuing to recruit current commit CJ Carr, he's thinking about reclassifying to this upcoming class twenty twenty-three class. Good. He, he is a member of the twenty twenty-four class. Uh, I think he sees a job opening and uh, says, "Yeah, let me go ahead and, and take that." So. Much more to come on that. Here's Notre Dame's schedule the rest of the year, though. At UNC, road game in Vegas against BYU, home against Stanford, home against UNLV, at Syracuse, home against Clemson, at Navy, home against Boston College, at USC. I mean, Garrett, there is a legitimate concern Notre Dame might not find a bowl game this year.
1: I I was counting on my fingers while you were reading it out. There were three games I thought you could say they should win.
0: Stanford, uh, and Navy.
1: Yeah, Stanford, UNLV, Navy. Those are the three that I think they should win. Outside of that, I mean, Syracuse is doing some things right. <laughs> um, UNC can put up some points. I mean, that's you got to be looking on the schedule and being real nervous if you're an Irish fan right now. And it's yeah. it, it sucks because you came into so many expectations. You play Ohio State well the first week, but ah, man, this might get ugly real quick for Notre Dame.
0: <laughs> it, it really it really really could and i feel Four bad for and eight freedom. is on the table it, it absolutely is which is is not where you want to be if you're an irish fan let's jump into the acc two headliner games and a couple others that we can comment on as well florida state first of all let's start there 35 31 over louisville on a friday night Haha. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, garrett's real fired up about this uh jordan travis jared verse could be out for a while if you're yeah. Florida State, that's the concern. The good news is Tate Rodemaker came in, threw two touchdowns, and led the Knolls back from the brink. Wide receiver transfer from Arizona State, Johnny Wilson is the man right now in Tallahassee. Seven catches, 149 yards, two touchdowns, absolute baller. Uh, Malik Cunningham, he showed up as well. Great effort in a loss, 320, uh, 370, excuse me, total yards and three touchdowns. That last interception, though, like, what are we doing? Uh, either overthrew, uh, overthrew his intended wide receiver or just didn't throw it far enough out of bounds. It ends up getting picked off, and the, the comeback drive stalled. Whew, Scott Satterfield's got to be on the hot seat after losing this one, don't you think? The seat is
1: extremely warm for Satterfield. And, man, especially if you look at this, you are you got this good recruiting class you're hyped up about, and you got to think a lot of those guys are probably looking elsewhere. Um, and that's not to say that they necessarily should, but yeah, you've got to be looking elsewhere. Satterfield doesn't seem to be the guy. I, I think that Malik Cunningham's a really good player, but man, he doesn't seem to be could, like well coached at all. Dumb decision at the end of the game. They could have legitimately driven that ball down the field yep. and won, yep. but just to sit there to roll out, you've got time. You can throw the ball away. You have some players on that sideline. If you want to make kind of a, let's throw it where only my guy can catch it. And the guy in front of you isn't exactly blitzing hardcore or coming downhill. He was kind of mm-hmm. standing there playing contain. So you're not under a lot of pressure. You're not getting rushed. Throw it away or throw an accurate ball. And it just doesn't seem like he had the situational awareness to know what to do in that moment. That has to go back to coaching. That just has to go back to you got a talented guy who's putting up numbers all night, but in the right situation, he didn't know what to do. So. Yeah, probably looking at a new coaching staff come next year, maybe come partway through the season. I don't know that they would fire him during the season, but you have to think he's not coaching there next year.
0: I'm jazzed up for the Knowles. I know that you could be down your two best players, but so far the Knowles hype train, that selection is one of my darlings. has has been a lot of fun to support. Uh, again, a lot of college football to play, but uh, I am loving being on the Knowles bandwagon.
1: And for the Florida State fans, you've won some games. You got a great one over LSU to start. You've won a couple, you know, in your conference now. And the big deal here, Miami just lost and yep. Florida didn't look very good at all. So nope. you're kind of running the state right now. I mean, it's not necessarily that way. It's a little early maybe to say, but you're kind of running the state right now. And that's going to help in your recruiting
0: efforts. That's going to help you build some program. And
1: that's going to help you kind of get some momentum here. Good for you guys.
0: I've been saying it for a long time. I'll continue to say it. Norvell is turning the battleship around. And I think 2022 is the evidence of that. Elsewhere in the ACC, number 11, NC State, 27, Texas Tech, 14. Someone finally stopped the Red Raiders offense. And NC State just looked very impressive in this game. They didn't put up a lot of points on Texas Tech, which I, I expected this to be a little bit higher scoring of a game. But at the end of the day, A good home win for the Wolfpack. They keep their playoff hopes alive. They keep their spot towards the top of the ACC alive. And, you know, you you did it against some really good playmakers. You you kept Donovan Smith uncomfortable, pressured all night long. That pick six that he threw in the second quarter really kind of ends up being the difference maker. Red Raiders just fall out of cover range, which, you know, of course I was sad about as a Texas Tech backer. But uh, overall, very, very good win for NC State. You did what you should have done against a decent team at home.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And we went into this, I said that NC State needed to make a statement, and here's your statement. Good job. You stopped some good playmakers. You stopped a team that had some momentum, and you pretty much shut them down all night. Massive props to the NC State defense. They did a really good job keeping Donovan Smith in front of them, not letting him do too much with his legs, and not really letting him have time to throw. It was a great job, um, you know, that – Some mistakes, the pick six, like you mentioned, and and they they have this win. They deserve that win. Um, I wasn't necessarily impressed with the NC State offense. I still think there's some room to grow there. Um, But you just have to say, you know, if you've got a really good defense, you've got some time to let the offense grow, you know, and especially if you're talking the ACC a good defense can go a long way in the ACC to kind of shutting down some other teams, especially when, you know, in the ACC, I think there's a lot of teams with some not very good defenses Mm -hmm. that you can start to kind of expose as your offense gets better. So
0: look out for them. I think you can see NC state go on a bit of a run here. Texas tech will return to Lubbock. They take on the Longhorns next week. You can bet your bottom dollar. We'll be previewing that game. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Elsewhere in the ACC, Wake Forest 37, Liberty 36. Wake holds off a late comeback, including a failed two-point try at the very end of that win. Garrett, Duke Blue Devils, baby. They're 3-0, and they are Here heading we to go. Lawrence, Kansas, for an undefeated date with the Kansas Jayhawks. We'll talk about Kansas in just a moment. Please just take the next 10, 15 seconds to gloat on the fighting Mike Elkos.
1: Okay, look, Duke, man, your defense is looking great. You're scoring some points. I knew I was good to pick you. They win in Kansas next week. I hit my over for the, you know, darling, for the lower tier darling. So, uh, you know, big time game. I'm telling you what, man. Kansas and Duke should be college game day this Seriously. week. There's no reason for that. We don't want to see another just random SEC matchup. Let SEC Nation go there. That's fine. Give us what we want. We want game day in Lawrence, okay? <laughs> we want game day in in Kansas but seriously though Duke great job happy to be backing you guys nice to
0: see that I got this pick right on some of these teams you absolutely did I'm curious to see if some of the other shows like maybe the late kick goes out to Lawrence he's doing oh sure I think his every given Saturday tour I would love to see him go out to Lawrence do the show from there because SEC nation will be in Arlington and college game Day as you mentioned will be on Rocky top for Florida Tennessee let's get some recognition out in the sunflower state huh If no
1: one else will do it, maybe we should drive up there, set up a booth, you know, live show, and be like, "Hey, you know what? This is the real game day."
0: (laughs) Exactly. Just just stake our claim, make a make a brand for ourselves. There we go. Uh, Pitt beat up Western Michigan, and Virginia holds on over Old Dominion, sixteen to fourteen, to wrap up the ACC. Let's head over to the Big Ten. It was kind of a mixed bag for the week, and we'll start with the downside. Um, Northwestern. What on earth happened? You let Southern Illinois, an FCS team, get their first win of the season against you. The Salukis, 31, Northwestern, 24. Garrett, do you know the the two teams that Southern Illinois had lost to before uh, this game on Saturday?
1: Um, Not off the top of my head, but I can't imagine they were very
0: good. They lost to Incarnate Word, who was an FCS playoff team last season, and Southeastern Missouri State. Vontage. Program. I guess I was
1: right. Not very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Salukis from Carbondale. Sorry, That's right. Spoil the game for Northwestern. That's a tough look. Uh, Indiana improves to three and zero. They need overtime to beat the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky. A fifty-one yard field goal in overtime to win for the Hoosiers. But nine one Indiana, baby. Fire it up. It might be <laughs> on track. Michigan fifty-nine, UConn nothing. Tell you this, your boy uh, has to be really, really fired up about Michigan now they've played a bakery for their three non-conference games they, they play a real <laughs> opponent next week but Blake Corm five touchdowns on the ground for the Wolverines that ties a program record Michigan offensively under J.J. McCarthy's looked very good
1: yeah and I mean look we can talk about they hadn't played anybody but there's a lot of teams that hadn't played anybody and still hadn't looked very good Sure. I mean Northwestern didn't play anybody this week they took an L so <laughs> I mean look that's just kind of how it goes sometimes it's good to take care of business you need to take care of business and let me tell you what Blake Corum this kid is good this yeah. kid is just good at football okay yeah. if you're looking for a list of players that are good at football Blake Corum is on this list he, he's gonna be great limited action and he still scores five touches didn't he have like 12 touches in that game he just like didn't yeah. touch the football at all and still scored just basically every time he did it so um, yeah, shout out Michigan. I think that the AP has the top four correct right now. Michigan is definitely a top four team. They probably should go to the playoff. I would say even with one loss, I think they're more deserving than a lot of teams. If they come down to one loss later in the year, not saying they have a loss now, but if they were to lose to Ohio State, I still yeah. think they deserve to be in, right? They're just a really good team. And I think this is, you know, they're showing you, hey, look, he's turning the program around. You know, Mr. Khaki's a little bit of a hot seat a couple years ago, but a uh, nice, nice, comfortable
0: seat for him right now. Yeah. Seems like a collision, uh, a head-on collision with Ohio State, uh, which they won 77, Toledo 21 yesterday. CJ Stroud, by the way, 367 yards through the air, five touchdowns, three different wide receivers for the Buckeyes went over 100 yards receiving. Their averages were just insane. Uh, Ohio State's offensive juggernaut continues to roll on. Really, the big game for the Big Ten was Maryland thirty-seven, SMU twenty-seven. A game that we are, or at least a team that we're very interested to see this next weekend when they return back home. That's a good ponies squad that Maryland knocked off by ten. Really, really good win for Maryland. I think you know they they gave up a lot of yards through the air. Tanner Mordecai threw for three hundred sixty-nine yards. Rasheed Rice eleven catches for a buck ninety-three through the air, but give Maryland credit. Mike Floxley, he found a way. Maryland 3-0 heading into their game against Michigan.
1: Yeah, and really this SMU squad, I think, just comes down to a team that plays great offense and not really great defense. Um, lots of scoring should be expected when you're playing SMU. I'm excited to see how they end up against TCU uh, when they play this game in a week.
0: Trey and I are very excited about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They win 49 Colorado over a bad Buff squad, as Trey notes, go for season, book your tickets to Indy. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Minnesota for the Big Ten West champ, book it right now. Let's head on over to the SEC, where they held serve this week for the most part. I got a question in our DMs. Uh, why we didn't preview the Georgia-South Carolina game, and this is why. It really wasn't even on our radar. Georgia looked like the number one team in the country. They went 49-7. Over the Gamecocks, Uh, I wrote here, officially good night to everyone who picked South Carolina to win 10+. plus. You already have two losses, and that schedule does not get any easier. I think the program's headed in the right direction if you're Shane Beamer and company, but you need more time. Uh, Honestly, Spencer Rattler's just not looking like the answer at quarterback, and that offensive line just gets obliterated on a week-in, week-out basis. Um, Defense at zero answers for Brock Bowers and his three touchdowns. Obviously the most talented tight end in the country at a 78 yarder in the third quarter. It was just Georgia rolling for four straight quarters. You could have turned this one off really after the, the half and, and been very content.
1: Yeah, no, uh, South Carolina, you know, again, like you, I think that they're moving the right direction. I said it going into the year. Rattler's not the guy. I didn't mm-hmm. think he was very good. Um, I don't think he handles pressure well. So if you can get a pass rush on him, I think you can shut down South Carolina's offense just like that. And it doesn't seem like they have any other answer for it right now. Um, But, yeah, I think you have to go straight to Georgia and say this has a lot more to do with them than it does with South Carolina. Um, Georgia has not missed a beat. You you couldn't tell me that they had five guys drafted off that defense. You you couldn't tell me. I'd be like, no, there's no way. This defense is way too good to have that much talent missing from last year. So. Man, they're doing a a good thing there in Georgia. Kirby Smart, he's got a great program. They are rolling. They are the best team in the country right now. And, you know, this keeps going too much longer.
0: We could be talking about a repeat. Absolutely. Other games in the SEC that were of no contest number 20, Ole Miss wins 42 to nothing over Georgia Tech on the road. The top 15 Kentucky team wins 31, Youngstown State zero. Bama all over Louisiana Monroe 63 to seven. Tennessee blows out Akron, 63-6. to Missouri, um, they win. They beat Abilene Christian in what was a close game for far too long, 34-17. Only note here, Mizzou actually stinks. Um, it it du- does help if
1: your opponent fair catches on the one-yard line. That does help. Which Don't in know that if drive saw that. that
0: was remarkable. They then drove down the field and got a field goal out of that possession. Yes. So yeah, Abilene Christian uh, Fair caught a punt on the one yard line. Literally, it was like the the returner oh. caught the ball over the goal line with his feet on the one yard line. And you, and you could
1: see run. it as soon as he caught that. He was like, "Oh wait, I'm an idiot. I should yeah. have let this one go." So yeah, not That's trying right. to pick on the kid, but you know,
0: tough scene there. Uh, Vandy thirty eight, Northern Illinois. 28, actually a really good win for a Vanderbilt team. A.J. Swan, the only note here, got the start instead of Mike Wright. Um, So we'll we'll see what Anchor Down does. But I think there's some definite progress in that program. The other two games that we can talk about here just a minute, LSU 31, Mississippi State 16. Boy, were we wrong on Mississippi State. It felt like they were going to go in to Death Valley and at least have a competent offense. That was not the case. Will Rogers only throws for 214 yards. The LSU Tigers looked very complete, and as Peter Burns of the SEC Network noted, LSU is truly one play away, maybe, from being 3-0. Right, and I mean,
1: if Trey was here to talk about this, he'd be gloating about how, yeah, this is what Mike Leach does. He throws up one or two stinkers a year where it just it's not a good game plan, so I'll go ahead and say that for him. Um, Very good job by LSU. It seems like last week was a get-right week. Um, I do think they came out kind of poor against Florida State. So I'm not sure that I, I mean, obviously there's one play away right. from it, but I don't think that they were a very good team week one.
0: Yeah.
1: Last week they got right. They figured out what they needed to. They worked out the kinks. They got it out their system. They exercised some demons. And it seems like they got things right. And look, you play games at home, you're going to beat teams, even if you are pretty evenly matched. So uh, great job for LSU. Kind of excited to see where it goes for the season.
0: Mississippi State only 3 of 14 on third down. They did not get to 300 total yards. Um, As Trey notes, you don't win games with field goals. Boy, isn't that true across the country. Florida put this into practice as well. They win 31, USF 28. It was a missed kick at the end of regulation for South Florida that kept them from tying this ball game up and sending it to overtime. Anthony Richardson, Garrett, through three weeks, has yet to throw a touchdown pass. Florida's offense, not exactly the most impressive unit in the country. Well, and I think I saw something like he has
1: three tackles. And (laughs) so having no touchdown passes and three tackles through a few weeks, not what you'd expect from a quarterback, maybe a a backup linebacker or something or a safety. But um, yeah, not a a great stat for your quarterback. Man, this game was on our uh, third screen for the majority of the night while we were watching games last night, and man, USF almost pulled that one off. I don't know if anyone's actually watching that one, but they had driven down to like, I want to say the 20 yard line on Mm -hmm. that last possession. And then the snap just skidded by the quarterback and they lost like 10, 15 yards, put them way outside of where their field goal kicker was probably comfortable. He still almost made that kick with a bad hold, like a really bad hold. They, They dropped the ball on the ground and then barely got that ball up. So he could actually put his foot on it and still almost snuck it in that bottom corner. So Man, just got to be gutted if you're a USF fan. You almost had this one in overtime, and man, I have to think, if you have this one in overtime, you probably pulled this one off. They looked better down the stretch than Florida did.
0: They, they kind of did. Uh, rivalry game, so you know anything can happen, and boy, the Bulls almost pulled that one out. Let's go over the Big 12 quickly here. They continued to flex. We haven't talked about at least what was the headliner in the morning slate. Oklahoma just dismantles Nebraska. 49-14. Uh, Since then, Eric Shenander, the defensive coordinator from the Huskers, he was actually let go just about an hour ago as we're recording this. Pathetic showing from Nebraska's defense. Not much else that needs to be said. They gave up 580 total yards of offense from the Sooners. This was the most historic outpouring of points for the Sooners in Memorial Stadium in program history. You talk about a historic rivalry that has given us so many memorable moments, back-and-forth games. And it was a 35-0 run that just uh, sunk the, the Cornhuskers' ship there in the first half. They end up giving up 49 unanswered points after scoring the opening touchdown. Just disgusting. Just a brutal showing for Nebraska. Mickey Joseph, I, I cannot help but feel for him. Everyone was predicting that Nebraska was going to show some heart. They were going to show some fight and you know play for this interim coach, and they gave up. Straight up gave up in that second half. I, I don't know where you go if you're a Nebraska fan. Like you are doomed to be miserable for the rest of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it. They played really well for about ten minutes, not ten game minutes. I mean, ten like yeah. minutes. Count them out. Sixty seconds. Right out of the gate, they came out great. They looked good. They're playing for the fans. They came out. They scored that early touchdown. And man, they, it just looked like they packed it in. It just looked like they weren't playing for anything. And it, it was nothing could tell me that more than when Dylan Gabriel takes off down the sideline, scrambles, makes a guy miss, kind of makes another guy miss, breaks a couple of weak tackle attempts, and just runs it in on a, I think it was a third and long, was when he rode that one in. All you need to do is yep. contain. You don't contain. He runs one. Plenty of plays to be made on that run. And nobody made a play. It just looked like they quit. It just looked like they gave up. And man, just got to be so demoralizing if you're a Nebraska fan right now.
0: Yeah, that was that that specific run that you're talking about. That was the first time that OU had converted on third and seven or longer all season long. Oh, and man. And Hill and Gabriel runs for 61 <sighs> yards and a score. That's um, crazy. That Ugh. that continued to define uh, the rest of the day. Texas 41, UTSA 20. Longhorns banged up uh, were certainly, I don't know if they were on upset watch, but they were certainly on spread watch. And they do end up covering, I believe, when we took it, it was an 11 or 12 point spread. Texas obviously covers that uh, pretty handily. They look good in the second half. They didn't play very polished, but look, they're banged up. Backup quarterback, you know, their running back room is, they all played yesterday, but certainly nobody's healthy there. A couple of defensive starters were out as well. We'll say UTSA moved the ball really well in the first half. Jeff Trailer had a great game plan. It seemed like they out-schemed the Longhorns early, but at the end of the day, talent really won out here. Texas wins pretty comfortably. Um, again, I'll give you the floor here. Kansas outright 48 over Houston. They score 30. Rock, chalk, my friend. This is a just abomination that game day is not going to Lawrence.
1: It, it's just terrible that they didn't look i pegged the texas game right i, I pegged the kansas game right uh, i said that for texas they were gonna come out there keep it interesting for three quarters and then pull away with some big plays mm-hmm. bijon mm-hmm. scores 41 yard touchdown in the fourth quarter to kind of put that one away and man i almost i almost i said it on the pod i almost wanted to go kansas outright but i wasn't quite sure and the only reason i said not was because i was like there's no way kansas does it twice in a row right they're not going to win two games they're not supposed to you know double digit spreads there's no way they do that twice in a row well they did on the road <laughs> in both cases I'm going to go ahead and declare this Kansas is good at football Kansas is actually good at football okay they have a great offense their quarterback is a real game changer he really can change this game he can run he can throw he knows where his guys are they have a great scheme they know what they're doing they know how to run that offense and they are running it beautifully right now Kansas is going to upset a couple people this year. And I don't mean just in terms of point spread, because they've already done that. I mean, they're going to really ruin some years for some teams. They're going to have some teams that they come into Kansas, they're not going to take them seriously enough, and Kansas is going to hang 50 on them too. Kansas can do this. They're a good football team, and they should have game day this week. It is a tragedy that they don't have game day in Lawrence this week.
0: I, I can't believe it. Uh, Jalen Daniels looking like a, a new creation out there. He He's just, you said it, very, very comfortable in this scheme, very, very comfortable in what they're trying to execute. And they did not care that Houston should have been ticked off after that loss last week to Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was supposed to be the get-right week for Houston, a, a claim to the American, at least at the top of it. And they didn't do either of those things. And And you're right, Kansas, not bad at football anymore. No, and to be clear, Houston started 14-0 in this game. Yep. But Kansas, they came
1: back. I think it was a defensive touchdown got them back in it. Then uh-huh. they turned the ball over, and they get a quick score. All of a sudden, it's 14-14. They hit a lightning delay, and I think I texted the group. Lightning was the only thing that was stopping Kansas from scoring on that drive. It was second and goal when the lightning struck. So yeah. uh, it, they were going to punch that one in again. So, uh, man, hats off to Kansas. Going back to last year, going back to there, I think it was the Texas win that started this trend. They, I think they won that game. They lost a really close game, and now they're winning some games this year. This is a good team. Like They've yep. turned some stuff around. Something shifted in the culture. Something shifted with the expectations. This is a good football team. This is a actually good football team.
0: Dating back to 2007, Kansas had only won two road games until they went into Austin and beat Texas. Since then, they've won three of their last four road games. So There you Kansas- go. Stock is up, baby. Uh, Rock shock. Kansas State, stock down. Tulane, 17. (sighs) Kansas State, 10. Tulane only converted one of 12 third downs in this game and threw two picks, and they still won. The Green Wave rushed 40 times. Kansas State rushed the ball 42 times. As as Trey wrote, this is the annual what-the-heck game from Kansas State. I mean, just... They, they, they look like a contender. I believe they draw Oklahoma next week in the conference opener. They they look like a contender. And then out of nowhere, nobody shows up. And, and this was that game, hopefully, for Chris Kleiman's squad. Maybe they've got it out of their system now, but oh my gosh, they looked bad yesterday.
1: You sure hope it's out of their system. I mean, you can't afford another one of those types of games. Look, Tulane sold out to stop the run, and it became pretty clear that Adrian Martinez is not the guy at quarterback. That's just, yeah. you were hoping he'd make some improvements from his days at his previous stops, but I guess maybe it wasn't the it wasn't the school. It might just be him. Um, he cannot throw the football effectively. That's just mm-hmm. what it comes down to. And if you can't throw the football effectively, it does not matter how good your running back is. Deuce Vaughn, I'll continue to – you know, beat this drum for the rest of the year. I think he's the best running back in the Big Twelve, and one of the best in the country. I I just I don't see how you can give this guy, you know, nine guys in the box and expect him to have a good year. They they everyone was right on the line. Everyone was just stacked in there and. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, your offensive line can play well, but what are you going to do? And so I think, you know, you're going to have to find something in the pass game just to keep the defense honest. I'm not asking for game breaking play. Yeah, I'm asking for one hundred and fifty to two hundred yards passing. That doesn't sound like too much. But right now, for Adrian Martinez, it might be an issue.
0: Well, he got to exactly one hundred and fifty yards passing yesterday. One touchdown. Deuce Vaughn, 20 carries, 81 yards Just not enough if you're going to win as a Kansas State squad. Let's wrap it up with the Pac-12 here. My key stat of the week, this was the first time that the Pac-12 conference had multiple ranked wins in non-conference games since 2001 when they had teams beat uh, Purdue and I believe it was Notre Dame. I, I think it was Washington that beat Purdue and Oregon State that knocked off the Irish this, this conference has been in a bad way for a number of years. Maybe there's a little bit of resurgence. I don't know. We talked about Oregon and Washington winning big. USC also just lowered the hammer on Fresno State, 45-17. Uh, as Trey notes, USC looked good enough to get ranked in his personal top five. I don't know how you feel about that. The offense has shown... A lot of impressive characteristics. Last night, though, the defense showed up against a very good quarterback in Jake Hainer.
1: No, for sure. The defense played a lot better last night. I didn't think they had it in him, if I'm being honest. The, these teams, coached by Lincoln, don't seem to have any defense ever. But, mm-hmm. man, great job by that defense to show up last night against a good quarterback and, and make enough plays to to you know make this one a blowout. It was never really close. Um, we had this one on the second screen most of last night, and... Yep man, it just wasn't anything fun to watch because USC was just, you know, highlight play, highlight play, highlight play. And that's fun if you're a USC fan, but, you know, if you're just trying to watch a good football game, uh, <laughs> you pay you pay attention to whatever your game is because that's not the one. So, yeah, I think they're really good. Five or six probably feels right. Um, I think they're a really good squad. I Look, there's some, again, there's some wins to be had out sure. in the Pac-12. And I wasn't convinced going into the year that this would be it. But it seems like they've got the offense just absolutely firing on all cylinders. So, uh, yeah, let's see how high they can go. USC, it'd be fun to have them back in the
0: national conversation. Utah blows out San Diego State 35-7. Oregon State all over the Bobcats of Montana State 68-28. This Oregon State team looks for real. Arizona hangs on in an absolute thriller over the Bison of North Dakota State. Arizona pulls it out 31-28. And then you get to uh, some not-so-good longs <laughs> Pac-12 took yesterday. UCLA nearly loses to South Alabama. It was a game-winning field goal at the gun to beat the Jaguars 32-31. Trey says that his preseason UCLA bandwagon is on live support. I don't blame him. That is him. true. Uh, also, nobody there to watch that game. As uh, I believe it was the Reddit college football account noted, they, they tweeted a screenshot of like what Apple Maps shows if you're driving from campus to the Rose Bowl, and it's like 45 minutes through all kinds of traffic. Just no no fun at, at all to go to that stadium. You're, you're dealing with heavy LA traffic, 11 a.m. time local kick. Everybody's hungover. Nobody's going to that game. And again, they keep announcing crowds of like 25,000 people. I don't know if there's no. 2,500 people in that stadium. I mean, if you have not seen the screenshots, please just go, go enjoy. There is... You could play Where's Waldo in in sections with fans that show up there. You get better, like, 3A high school attendances than you get out there at the Rose Bowl. It it
1: was just terrible. I also saw – I don't know if you saw the picture of the guy that was working security in the end zone, and they just took a picture of just that shot, and he was standing there on the field looking up at an empty section. There's nobody in the section. And he's just standing there like he's trying to stop somebody from getting on the field. And I'm like, nobody's getting past him because – nobody's there yeah so it was it was a funny one kind of embarrassing to you know have that bad of a
0: turnout but that's what happens when you're in LA man LA traffic Uh, unless UCLA can build some sort of stadium closer to campus as a as an athlete I don't know why you go there Um, you're not going to contend for championships UCLA has made it very clear that they don't value their athletic programs enough to invest in them and you're not going to play in front of anybody. I mean, you are truly yep. playing in front of five people in a bag of chips if you go out to play for the Bruins. So just a tough look for their program. Even I tougher get some look good road though. Road games. Say that again. You get some good road games. I guess. I guess that's true. Hey, can't wait <laughs> to watch them go play uh, Rutgers in Piscataway. That's going to be Woo! just a blast. Uh, not n- not so good of a look for Arizona State. They lose to Eastern Michigan. My friend. And my only note here. Fire Herm. Arizona State is an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, They should be the laughing stock of the Pac-12 right now. Everything's going wrong for them. You talk about the investigation from the NCAA, the lack of recruiting success, everybody and their mother transferring out of the program, coaches being suspended, quitting, etc. Just burn it to the ground. Start over. Um, Arizona State is not a program on the rise.
1: No, they are not. In the show doc, we have an all-caps LOL next to UCLA South Alabama. And next to this one, a longer LOL with lots of extra L's, probably just all the L's that Arizona State is going to take this year. Um, and also, I noted, I, I forgot who EMU was, and so part of me was just like, oh, they lost to an EMU. I was like, no, I think they might actually lose to an EMU if they lined up EMUs on the field. They might find a way to lose that game. So, man, Arizona State, not a good program. LOL, this is really bad. Just go ahead, fire Herm, and let's, let's start over.
0: Did you have any any kind of leanings from group of five results? We had Cincinnati beat Miami of Ohio 38-17, the battle for the victory bell. That game, I don't know why that wasn't played on campus. That was played in uh, in the Bengals stadium. You had Rice winning 33-21 over Louisiana. I, I didn't see that coming. I took Louisiana oh. as my ledger pick against Trey. but But the universe was looking out for me. Wyoming beats Trey's ledger pick against me. Seventeen to fourteen, just an odd trading of points there. Uh, not a not a lot of exciting games in the group of five this week that we haven't already mentioned. No, not really. The my favorite thing from
1: the group of five this last week, you know, besides ones we mentioned, was just the fact that there was a tweet that went out about Cincinnati and Miami at the Bengals Stadium where it said, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean Bearcats have scored a touchdown yeah. against the Miami Dolphins. I mean Miami Herc. I mean it's Miami, Ohio. And they just kind of kept messing it up and so I thought that was a good tweet. Um, yeah, just a very strange venue for this game. really felt like that should have been on campus.
0: very much so well, week four brings a host of fun matchups. We can't wait to get into those. Uh, week three certainly gave us a lot to talk about. It was fun to watch, just kind of sit back, see games again from morning until night uh, transpire in front of us. Some of them gave us a lot to to love and a lot to laugh about. Some of them gave us. A lot to cry about, depending on uh, who your team is. But uh, (laughs) another week of watching college football, really, really hard to complain about that. We'll be back next week for the week four preview, as well as uh, everything that has to do with the spread option. We'll give you the results from that, as we're uh, we're still tabulating those uh, on Sunday afternoon. But for Garrett Turney, for Trey Reeves, couldn't be with us. He'll be back next week. I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Three Technique. Until next time, so long, everybody.